I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host Matt Dixon here. And this week, well, we're going to welcome one of our newer Purple Patch pros, Chelsea Sodaro. Chelsea, or CS Gas, as I like to call her. She is a consummate professional with an athletic career that went through college and multiple years at the professional level in running. And now she takes on long course triathlon. And I'm going to tell you this. Shh. I'll give you a hot tip. Keep your eyes and ears open for this one over the coming seasons. Chelsea brings so much. And as you'll hear, she has a wealth of insight and knowledge for all performance-minded people. And as you tackle your own performance journey, there is a lot to learn. And so this week, no word of the week. Yep, no jingle, I'm afraid. We are going right into the meat and potatoes. So here we go. CS Gas. Or for you, Purple Patch Pro, Chelsea Sodaro. All right, folks, we've got a cracker today. I am joined by one Chelsea Sodaro, who is uh, relatively new on the Purple Patch roster of our professional squad. And we are currently, Chelsea, down in Scottsdale in Arizona, spending entirely too much time with each other at our pro training camp here in January. But, um, but I asked Chelsea onto the show to have a chat a little bit about her background and story, but hopefully provide you folks listening with a little education around all aspects of the sport. Chelsea, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to go through, I'll embarrass you to start, all right? We're going to go through a little bit of a bio just so that the listeners at home know a little bit more about you, because I would guess that a fair few of our listeners have probably never heard of Chelsea Sodaro, but they will very soon and they should have. So you are a runner at the University of California, where you earned All-American status. And then after your uh, running career and you finished up there, you went professional for four years. So you're a professional runner for four years, two-time U.S. national champion, once in the uh, Road 10K and in the Indoor 3K. And then you transitioned from running, as we're going to talk about today a little bit, to a triathlete and uh, now racing professionally, part of the Purple Patch squad. And by all accounts, as your coach, I would say that you are young in the sport. But in your short career so far, you've been a World Cup winner in the ITU, so that short course distance. And you've done two whole half Ironman or Ironman 70.3 distances, becoming the winner in the second attempt at that distance at the Indian Wells 70.3 late last season. So we're going to talk a lot about triathlon and your progression and some of your habits and keys to your success But before we do, why don't we just dive in? I I always like to do this with guests because I think it really gives some some context and grounding. I want to know a little bit more about you. So just give me a couple of minutes on on your background, your family, your education, where you grew up, etc. Sure. I am from Davis, California. Um, And... My um, my parents actually met, they were in rec sports at San Diego State where they met, and they were both amateur triathletes in the 80s. So I'd like to think that I have um, triathlon in my blood, even though I found it a little bit later in life. Sure. But um, they were both very active people. My dad was always training for the Boston Marathon, and my mom was a collegiate gymnast at UC Berkeley. And so uh, sports were always a big part of our life. And, um, I did ballet growing up. I swam in the summer. I played a lot of soccer fairly competitively. Um, and then I found running when I was, um, 12 or 13 years old and, and really fell in love with that sport and pursued it in high school and beyond. Um, my little brother was a very good swimmer and collegiate water polo player. Um, so, um, yeah, we were we were very active, and um, my dad was a teacher at my local high school, and my mom was a doctor, and and so we were. Um, I, I think my family was a pretty big part of the Davis community, and that was always sure. um, an important aspect of of our life as well. So, growing up, you you were really 
it, it wasn't like you just went through this endurance athlete progression. You really sounded like you tried a lot of different sports, soccer and ballet, great for kinesthetic awareness and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I never, I didn't specialize in a sport until I got to high school. I never, I was never really committed actually to any of the sports that I did growing up. I was always competitive and I think fairly athletic, but I didn't really fall in love with the process of training or practicing until I found running in high school. I remember my parents really like nagging me to practice my like dribbling and um, like juggling with a soccer ball in the backyard growing Mm -hmm. up. I Mm -hmm. didn't, but I didn't love it. And I played a lot of instruments and I didn't love practicing those. And um, it wasn't till it wasn't until I was a teenager that I found some discipline in sport, I think. And when you you chose Cal, which you, you mentioned your mum went to. And, That's right. And uh, what, what, did that have an influence, just, just through interest, that the fact that she had been there? Or was it mostly around the, the running and the, the coaches there and the team there? What sort of drew you to Cal and staying a little bit local, really, in many ways? Yeah, initially, I thought that I wanted to go to the East Coast. Um, while I loved my community that I grew up in, it was starting to feel, Davis was starting to feel a little bit small to me. Um, but I was recruited to Cal and I visited the campus and um, went driving through the Berkeley Hills with the head coach there, Tony Sandoval. And um, he, Cal was, was not a prolific program at that time. And he really sold me on the idea of being part of starting something new and really um, being part of making Cal a nationally ranked program. And, and that was very intriguing to me. I think that, um, it would have been a totally ex- different experience to go to a school that was already established. Sure. But there was something about building building something new that the athletic entrepreneurialism or almost I suppose. Uh, yeah, no it's no it is it's uh, it's interesting to grow and and one thing I realized by the way is we have a lot of really geographically dispersed listeners. So I want to explain where Davis is a little bit. And uh so Cal is is a, across the the bay. Uh, University of California, as they refer to it as Cal, it's across the bay from San Francisco. It's really part of the Bay Area, and then Davis is what, probably about eighty or ninety miles north of, or east of the city, northeast of the city, heading towards Lake Tahoe, basically. So it's uh, it's a lovely little town, actually, Davis, but uh, but it's a pretty small town, huh? It is a small town. Um, You're a farm girl. I, a little bit. One time, I was driving home actually. Um, with a friend and they remarked on the smell of the cows and I couldn't smell it because I, I guess it was in your skin. It was in my skin. <laughs> <laughs> so, so give us, um, go back to your running career and, and I guess start with cow. Was it, was it the experience that you hoped for at cow? You were, you were building something and was the, uh, was the team environment of being a university athlete? Was that, was that a, a sort of great experience for you? It was a great experience for me, and I think that it really set me up for a professional career after school, Um, but it certainly wasn't what I expected. I was injured for the majority of my first four years at Cal, and things didn't really click for me personally as an athlete until my fifth year there, but I had the opportunity to really take on a leadership role with a younger team and... um, I think take a lot of initiative with um, with guiding the program and sure. and yeah. um, and I think that there was a lot of leadership that was um, driven by the athletes, which you don't find any everywhere necessarily. No, for sure. And then afterwards, as as you did turn professional, you uh, I mean, you ran in the Diamond League, yeah. So, I did. Mm-hmm. So, so you you actually traveled internationally, really uh, racing professionally. Give us, as you look back now, and we're going to talk about triathlon, but when you look back at your your running career, and I don't mind if you encompass the cow journey, which obviously sounds like it was full of experiences, maybe some not all positive, but certainly organically leading you to something else. And then your professional running career, are there things that um, – you've really carried forward into professional triathlon. Are there also things that you look back and think, wow, I really would have done that differently if I would had a do-over sort of thing? Sure. I think that the most important 
thing that Cal gave me are the relationships that I that I still have to this day. Um, Magdalena Louis Boulet was my coach for my first two years at Cal, and then she was my professional coach after school. And she has just been a great friend and mentor for me as an athlete and human. Um, and then I also met my husband, Steve, at Cal, and I wouldn't be a professional athlete if it weren't for him. So um, Cal has really given me like the greatest gifts of my life, I sure. think. Sure. But I, you know, I think that if I knew how to swim like I do now, I would have been a much better athlete having been um, <laughs> having been injured like I was. But um, no, I'm really thankful for my experience as a runner. It it wasn't it didn't turn out how I wanted it to, and I didn't achieve everything that I wanted to. But I did get to travel the world and compete at a at a really high level. And um, yeah, I think that I think that those lessons and successes and failures that I had are invaluable. I want to go, I want to go back very quickly because I forgot to ask you your background in swimming. Cause I'm going to talk about your swimming, uh, in, in a little bit, but you, you did not really, you did not grow up a swimmer by any stretch. No? I did a like summer swim team, but I was not competitive and I didn't enjoy it and I was not very good at it, but my brother was a swimmer. And so I think that, it made sense for us both to go to the same place sure. at the same time during sure. summer from like a child care standpoint. Well, he, whatever his uh, swimming background is, it rubbed off on you <laughs> a little bit because your, your swimming is pretty good. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Now, once you decided to stop running professionally, what, did you go straight into triathlon or what was there a gap there? What Tell me a little bit about the sort of the time or the transition between sort of finishing running and transitioning into, into triathlon. Sure. I was fairly injured in the lead up to the 2016 Olympic trials on the track. I was training for the 10K and I had a lot of um, lower leg Achilles sort of injuries leading into that race. And um, I kind of pulled it together from a health standpoint before the trials, but I did not perform on the day. Mm -hmm. And I felt well short of my expectations of of what I thought I was capable of doing. And um my professional contract was up that year. And so initially I decided that I would train for the marathon because I thought that if I could pop a good marathon time, maybe I could get re-signed and like keep on pursuing this life that I was living. But like two weeks into marathon training, my Achilles were hurting again. And I just, I felt a bit lost and um, I felt like I didn't, quite have the passion that that I needed to keep on pursuing this so so what was the catalyst for triathlon well I um I was injured and injured again and I had been following the build-up to Rio for the triathlon I really enjoyed watching the ITU races and I had convinced my husband that we needed to buy like the um, yearly pass to watch triathlon because I had become a fan of the sport oh, there you go. and um, we were watching I think a WTS race and he was like you should try that I think you'd be really good at it and I laughed and I was like that's the dumbest thing you've ever said there's no <laughs> way um, but he bought me a bike and I started riding with him and I joined a master's group and I got more and more obsessed with this idea that I like I think um, most of us triathletes do. Mm-hmm. And I got in contact with a professional coach and um, went to go try out for his squad and um, moved a month later and was pretty full on in. Suddenly immersed in it. I was immersed and, very quickly. And very quickly, you, you, you basically transitioned into racing professionally. And when was your first, your first triathlon? My first triathlon was in March of 2017. It was um, an elite development draft legal race in Claremont, Florida. Okay. And I was, um, you race on Saturday and Sunday, and I think I was second on Saturday and first on Sunday. So not a bad start. It wasn't a bad start, though. (laughs) Though um, during the swim in my first race, I totally panicked. I, there were breaststrokes involved, which is kind of a no-no. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to like grab onto the rescue kayaks, 
but I um, persisted and I think I swam like 13 minutes for 750 meters and just started like hammering away on the bike and made your way back into made it. Made my nice. way back into it on the run. And and over the the coming the first season there was sort of there were some ups and downs. Is that fair enough in, in review of your, your race performances? Yeah, absolutely. Um I started out at the Continental Cup level and had some podiums and then moved on to the World Cup circuit and totally bombed my first race. I think I was I think I may have been last. And I was two minutes behind on the swim from the leader. Um, And then I had some top 10 performances at the World Cup level where I showed some potential, but I I never felt like I really executed a great race at any point in that season. Mm -hmm. Now, let's fast forward a little bit. uh, It was uh, about six months ago now, somewhere somewhere in the summer that, that you reached out to me and we sat down and we had a, a coffee uh, and it wasn't a necessarily a coaching call. It wasn't an interview for me to coach you. It wasn't uh, you reaching out to be coached, but uh, we reached out and we reached out and had a, a coffee. And from my perspective, when I sat down, I, I sort of saw an athlete that was without being rude, a little lost and uh, really not sure on the path. So I guess, uh, why did you reach out originally and, and sort of tell the listeners a little bit of where you were at at that time? Yeah, when I reached out to you, I had just come off my first World Cup win. And it had been this race that I had been working for since I started triathlon and the result that I had really been dreaming of and thinking of when I was, you know, hammering on the swim, bike and run and training. But when I crossed the finish line, I was in Mexico and I, my family wasn't there and my husband wasn't there. And it was this very lonely experience, which surprised me because I expected to just be so like stoked, Yeah. but I wasn't, I felt kind of empty when I crossed the finish line. And at, at that point I was pretty unhappy in my training environment. I was living apart from my husband, um, because I was training in San Diego and he was working in the Bay Area. And I had decided to leave my my training environment and move back home to be with him. And initially I contacted you because I wanted to know a little bit more about the um, like opportunities to be a triathlete in the Bay Area and um, what kind of like swims and bikes and um like sort of maybe practices that you could tell me about so that I could have start building some sort of like structure to my life um in the bay area um but I also knew about your reputation I knew I knew a little bit about your philosophy and um as a fan of the sport I knew about Sarah and I was interested in potentially reaching out to her as a training partner so it, it wasn't um it wasn't necessarily totally for advice I did have an ulterior motive well we we went through a series of discussions and uh it, it sort of uh almost uh bikes and it sort of fell into place and and you became a purple patch athlete so middle of the season and and I think the important thing here as well was a decision by you, not by me, by by you, to turn your back on short course racing, ITU. So for you guys listening that are not necessarily triathletes, the distance of triathlon and the setup of triathlon in which it's uh, competed at the Olympic Games and decide to make a transition towards long course, which for you guys again listening at home, that's more Ironman and Ironman 70.3 or half the Ironman distance. Uh, and you sort of you you had already made that decision that you decided to what what was your feeling on that what was the um what was the catalyst of that change i had been pursuing the this olympic dream since i was 23 years old um when i graduated from cal and i started to feel a little bit disillusioned with that and i also started to feel really excited about long course and going long And I think that long distance triathlon is kind of the ultimate test of your body and mind. Mm -hmm. And that was something that was starting to excite me. And so we start the journey. 
and uh, we started the journey about six months ago in the summer. So you came mid-season, and uh, for, for you guys listening, it's, I would say, in some ways, a less preferable time to really start a coaching relationship in another way, maybe the best time. We had no pressure. In fact, I remember one of our first conversations, are we even going to race? And we decided, well, let's see. Uh, but why don't you talk about the initial months? And and I think the first thing that you did is we did a couple of weeks of training and I said, you're off to Kona, you're going to go and help Sarah Piampiano, who was uh, who was preparing for the Hawaii Ironman at that stage. But I'd, um, I'd love your thoughts and insights over the sort of initial couple of months, because I think it was a sort of real, um, it was almost a wash of change and, and evolution in the in the way that you sort of view the sport in some ways, yeah? Absolutely. I think that my first couple of months with you and Sarah and Paul and Purple Patch really just freed me up to enjoy a new process and to learn a new process and um, to integrate myself into the team and um, to kind of embrace a new coaching philosophy. Mm-hmm. But like you said, there was very little pressure on me. And I think that also being Sarah's training partner and being part of her build up to Kona um, really just freed me up to um, enjoy the process of helping someone else. I think as professional athletes, we can get pretty consumed with our own goals. And I don't think that it has to be that way. I think that I have been given this incredible gift um, in having a training partner that is very good and very talented. And I just get to follow her around a bit and learn from her. (laughs) And that takes a lot of pressure off of me. And, um, And while you would think that it might be hard to be focusing on someone else's goals or be helping them, it actually allows you to let go of your own like stress yeah and actually and and i think it opened the door for learning yeah because you were there under the guidance in that camp uh in hawaii last year you're under the guidance of paul buick uh my assistant yeah which is quite an experience in itself but uh i think you had that total immersion but something you said there i think is really important because i wanted to spell a myth uh that that i hear a lot that Female, professional, or high-achieving, highly motivated athletes typically, this is the myth, typically don't cooperate and, uh, and are often combative. And my experience is that uh, when you set up the right environment, it can be incredibly powerful. And, uh, and I, I think with yourself and Sarah, that's a, um, why don't you talk about your guys' relationship? You've got a high-performing, very seasoned professional athlete who's right in her prime getting ready for one of the bigger races in her life. Suddenly, we include you into the equation and you add it together, I think that all of us can agree it's just been a real positive, both for her and for you. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. When I first asked you to coach me, I think that you connected me with Sarah so that I could ask her questions about you and the program and learn a little bit more about Purple Patch from the athlete perspective. And Sarah and I had a really nice chat. But towards the end of the chat, I said, so Sarah, if I do join Purple Patch, do you think that we'd be able to overlap a little bit? And how much do you think that we could train together? And she said, Chelsea, we can train together as much as you want. And um, that was a real selling point for me. I, you have to train a lot when you're a professional triathlete and I really prefer to train with other people. I think it makes the process a lot more fun and, um, it's easier to suffer together. And, um, she has really stuck to her word and embraced that. And I think embraced me. And I also think it would have been really easy for her to just, um, stick to her own routine and, um, kind of invite me in when it was convenient, but, um, we've really developed a positive partnership, I think, where we have different strengths and strengths and weaknesses and, um, support each other through it all, really. And there's one thing that I see that from both of you guys that you're, you're having, you mentioned this word, you seem to be having more fun. And I think that, um, 
that can breed confidence in many ways. I think so. We really enjoy, well, I can only speak for myself, but I really enjoy Sarah's company um, on a human level. And, um, and that certainly makes it more fun. But I also have immense respect for her as an athlete. And it's a privilege to watch her and learn from her every day. So, so talk about your first couple of races, because your, your first race maybe didn't go quite as planned for you. Your first half Ironman, you finished. I finished, And, uh, yeah. and you actually got a paycheck, but, uh, but it was a frustrating experience for you. And then coming back and, and obviously winning Indian Wells, where as you now sort of move forward into this season, your first real season of long course as we start the adventure, as it is sitting here in January, go back and just uh, review your first couple of races of last year. Yeah, my first my first race at Waco was definitely a challenge. I think I made a lot of rookie mistakes, like many people do in their first four-plus-hour race. But I rode the bike like it was an ITU race, and I matched every move like my life depended on it and expended a lot of energy doing that, I think. Um, and then I also didn't read the drafting rules as closely as I probably should have. And I got a drafting penalty, which was really disappointing. Um, And then my stomach started to really shut down like 90 minutes into the bike ride. And I definitely didn't have my fueling, my fueling down, walked the aid stations for half of the half marathon and kind of found my legs during the second half. But I was more disappointed with my lack of flexibility and my mindset when things got hard and um and yeah I was just frustrated with my overall approach to the race um but I knew that I wanted to do it again and I knew that I wanted to do it better and then it came back and uh, did it feel like validation of the at least initial start of the process when you had a great uh, Indian Wells? I think it felt like validation for the decisions that I had made leading up to that race. Um, I think that in years prior to joining Purple Patch, I had made a lot of decisions based only on my athletic performance. But when I started to prioritize other things in life that are important to me and prioritizing the people that I'm surrounding myself with, um, that has kind of changed my perspective. And um, Indian Wells felt like validation for those decisions. It's, uh, I think that's a, a really important component. I, w- I want to talk a little bit about uh, the broader Purple Patch community uh, and I, I only talk about this or ask this because I'm I'm pretty sure this is important. And for you guys listening, I think many know it's a somewhat unique. It's a, we, we don't just operate as a professional squad of ten athletes where it's a high performance. It is chicken soup. And uh, and how was that coming in? You you were sort of originally in a squad that was only elite athletes, and before that, you were running as a professional runner. And suddenly you've got the whole range of the spectrum under one sort of swimming pool roof and uh, and bike class on trainers, etc. How's how's that been for you, being sort of thrown into that environment? It's been an absolute pleasure. I the environment that you've created, Matt, and that Purple Patch has provided for me has brought a lot of the joy back into my athletic pursuit. Um, we have an incredible amateur community um, and I'm so impressed by the high level people that show up at 530 to swim every single week without fail and show up to bike class every single week without fail who have these incredibly full and busy lives with um, more stress that I can probably wrap my head around. <laughs> but we're all there and we're all working really hard together. And while we may not be in the same lane or necessarily doing the exact same session all of the time, um, it's a pretty bonding experience to be sharing that. I think with. the common thread is uh, self-improvement. And ultimately that's, that's your quest as well. It's not just outcomes. It's how good can I be? And, uh, and I think they, they have the same 
the same drive as well, ultimately, which I think is really one of the unifying threads of, uh, of what we've created in many ways. Absolutely. I don't think that it necessarily matters what your passion or pursuit is, but it's the attitude that you bring to that passion and the drive and the discipline and dedication. And I think that all of the athletes that I'm surrounded with, whether they're competing for a world championship or just trying to be healthy. I want to ask one more question of you before we sort of go into maybe a little bit more education for the listeners and, uh, and sort of thought share from you. But this year you've joined uh, a team, the European based team, the BMC VFIT team. Uh, outside of you arriving to pro camp, absolutely the best dressed. Uh, <laughs> how, Thank you. <laughs> how uh, it seems like that's just been a, a wonderful fit and uh, and, a, and a, a great squad and a great team of great support. Of it's um, it, you must be so happy to be a, a part of the team. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be a part of the BMC VFIT team. Again, I'm, I've really been embraced by another community that's, um, made up of like very seasoned, accomplished professional triathletes. And I just came from camp in Lanzarote in the Canary Islands. And, um, you just learn so much by watching other people who are, um, so accomplished. And, and I think that's, you know, one of the the biggest benefits to me is to be able to learn from other people who who know more than I do. And, and obviously, I I was not there, but I, I I followed some of your pictures, and the one thing that I saw coming out of it was was uh, a real unity and and joy. You guys were having a lot of fun as well, and uh, you know I think that can be a part of it. Many people sort of think about excellence as being this uh, this vigor where your eyebrows have to touch with venom. But uh, but it really seemed like quite a, a supportive environment globally and a, and a joyous one in many ways. Absolutely. My natural inclination is to be very serious and intense. Um, and really? I, and really? I, find, I know. <laughs> I, I find that I am more successful when I surround myself with people who aren't quite like that. <laughs> I think that um, I do better when the energy is a little bit lighter and we're having fun and enjoying the process because it's pretty easy for me to switch on the um, game face, but you can't have your game face on all of the time. In fact, it's very counterproductive to be um, gripping and ripping, as they say, um, 24-7. And so it's a process, it's, it continues to be a process for me to learn how to turn it off Um and, you know, I was hanging out with um, Chris Lieferman and Will Clark, who are incredible athletes, and they have a really good time. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. And Paul and I are trying to bully you into having a good time every day. I, I know, you. I know. <laughs> so, so let's talk about training and uh, transition. You can draw some of the initial experience of Purple Patch when you answer this question as well, or just thinking about long course. But what are some of the key ingredients that you found in training when you start to weave together your lens, I guess, on successful training? What does that look like? If you have to give some people your thoughts on what it means to be successful in training, what would they be? What would you be your ABCs? Well, I think the real secret to successful training is consistency. It's not about having one incredible day or session every few weeks. It's about stringing together good days of training day after day after day. And one thing that I really appreciate about Purple Patch and your style of coaching, Matt, is that on our on days, we are on and we're going really hard and trying to maximize um, maximize what we're getting out of that day. But on the off days, so to speak, we're recovering and we're focusing on absorbing the training from the harder day before and preparing our bodies for the challenging days ahead. So, so I, I really appreciate that dichotomy of um, being on versus recovering. And I think that a lot of people spend a lot of time in between those areas. And I am guilty of that as well mm -hmm. of kind of just 
Um, making it a grind almost. Making it a grind day after day after day. And that's not how we adapt. That's not periodization. That's not how we get better. That's how we tire ourselves out. What, what about uh, at, Paul, at the pro level, Paul is a big part of our, our setup. And, uh, you know, I, I'm the person that sits on the website and sits on this podcast <laughs> and does all the talking. Paul does not like to be in the, the limelight, but, uh, but is a worker, is a, is a unique creature. How's, what's Paul's influence been so far? Um, I had the privilege of spending 10 days with Paul in Kona at um, Sarah's uh, Kona, pre-Kona camp. And... Um, at one of our first swims, Paul came up to me and he looked me straight in the eyes and he said, don't train like the athlete that you are, Chelsea. Train like the athlete that you want to be. And I've really held on to that. Mm-hmm. I think that, and I, and I carry that especially in the pool because I'm working on my confidence in the water. But when I um, really ruminate on that, I know that I hold myself differently and I swim differently and I attack the swim differently. And I think that that message can be so powerful for anyone at any level. We're so stuck on who we are in this moment or who we think that we are, but we're capable of changing that. We're capable of becoming who we want to be. And I think that that message from Paul is going to serve me very well in triathlon, but also in my life and really give me agency to to be who I want to be as an athlete and a person. Let's come back to habits. We, we focus so much naturally on innervores and swim, bike and run because you're a triathlete. But for you, and, and I say this, I know as a little bit of a leading question because of our, our focus across these, but what are the key elements for you, either in your running and, and of course, in your triathlon career that have been so critical to your success? What have been some of the supporting habits that that you place a focus on that are sort of your non-negotiables? My non-negotiables are sleep. I'm pretty anal about how much sleep that I get. I really like to have nine hours of sleep every night, and I can handle eight. And I really like 10 hours of sleep. Um, But I'm not that nice of a person or that good of an athlete if I get much less than that. So sleep is very important to me. Um, Nutrition is incredibly important. Really fueling right after sessions. um, Fueling well during sessions and staying hydrated throughout the day. Um, I'm also putting a a greater focus on mindfulness and having a meditation practice. And I... um, I do that first thing in the morning when I get up, I spend 10 minutes and I use the app Headspace, which is a little ironic to use an app on your phone to meditate, but it seems to be working out okay for me right it's now. It's effective. It's effective, I think, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And if you go back and you self-reflect or when you look at many other athletes, amateur or otherwise, what, what would you suggest some of the most common pitfalls that you see? I think that there's so... There are so many things out there right now, and there's so much data out there right now. And I'm not real big into like analyzing my data. In fact, like I really enjoy having coaches do that for me. But I think that if we can just focus on getting the most out of ourselves in the session that we're in, that will really benefit us the most, I think. Um, I think that um, getting too caught up in the weeds of all of this stuff is a distraction from just getting a little bit better. You know, I, I went down and did a, uh, a discussion for a, a corporate group and uh, a set of leaders in a, uh, in, in a large company uh, just last week. And I talked about a concept of intentional focus. And for athletes, world-class athletes, amateur athletes, as well as in business, there are way too many inputs. There's just so much noise. And so a part of coaching or a part of being a great athlete is to be able to have focus on the things that are going to actually really move your performance needle. And sometimes it's individual, but I think that's really important. And it becomes really confusing for 
anyone when you try and spread your focus across too much. And um, that really resonated. So it certainly resonates with um, with what you say there. Um, how about coaching? And I, I hope I asked this question, by the way. I, I don't want this to be a, a, a gushing about myself or, or anything else. But I think a part of being a great athlete, and let me, let me preface it this way, the best athletes that I have ever coached have always been in some way highly coachable. So humble enough to understand that they need, great leaders need their great leaders, great athletes need great coaching. But in your world as the other side of the fence, as, a, as an athlete, what does, what's the value of coaching for you? What do, what do you look for out of a coach, me or otherwise? Well, first of all, <clears throat> um, I look for a coach who's smarter than me or who I think that is smarter than me in terms of training because I really like to swim, bike, and run. I don't really want to have to think about the like particulars of the sessions. I really enjoy when someone else does that for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I'm free to execute that. Um, but what I also appreciate about um, you, Matt, and what was really important to me um, when we first started working together was that you really empower me to take ownership of my own journey. And you made it very clear from the beginning that um, this is a journey that we're taking together and this is a partnership. And um, I feel like I'm at a point in my career where I don't necessarily need a dictator telling me what to do 24 seven. I need someone who's going to mentor me um, and work with me to help me get the most out of myself and to reach my potential. And um, I think that I also appreciate having a mentor in a coaching relationship where it's about being the best athlete that I can be, but also being a good person. Um, I think that when you're your best self and you're happy, that's when, at least for me, that's when I'm going to perform at my highest level. A hundred percent. And I would say as well that I, I believe a part of coaching is I'm glad that you uh, and, and humbled that you, you talked about empowerment because that's that's the real driver for me. And I do think that a coach's role isn't just uh, for anyone athletic performance. I think it is a, a part of ultimately trying to help guide, advise, to help the person refine their best selves across all areas of their life. And that's that's when the coaching relationship really sort of takes flight in many ways. And if we can do that, it's more enjoyable. It means more to the athlete. The athlete ultimately has the ownership, not just on their journey, but the ownership of their results and um, in a partnership. But the more I can make myself irrelevant as we go along, the better it's going to be for everyone. And <laughs> I think I'm we're a ways away from that. <laughs> and, I tell, and Jesse will Thomas tell you I'm pretty irrelevant to him now. He's shined. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I, it, it totally, it, it resonates. So, so if someone's looking for a coach, what would you, uh, and, and the answer is not just go and sign up for Purple Patch. What, what, what would be the tips for, for them for searching the right coach for them? Because it's, I think we both agree that not every coach is the right person for every athlete. Yeah. So, so how would you sort of recommend going about the search for a coach? Yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the most important parts of a coaching relationship or a positive coach athlete relationship is communication. When you talk to or interview your potential coach, can you do you think that you could have an honest conversation with them? Is this someone that you can really talk to when things aren't going well? Um, and then I think you also need to, you know, get a real flavor for their coaching philosophy. And if the training that they're describing sounds like something that you could buy into. Yeah. Um, so those would be those my would be biggest big tips. Thing. Yeah. So you're in camp here. We've talked about Sarah, obviously, but uh, we're in a camp environment. We've got eight days down here. I'd, I'd love to hear now that we're coming to the end, we've just got one day left and you have met some people that you had never met 
before you've been sort of thrown into this this very strange sort of elite camp environment what have been some of the highlights or values of that from a camp for you personally as an athlete oh gosh um maybe one of my highlights is climbing up from Bartlett Lake with Duncan who's a geologist in Scotland (laughs) he's amazing um you know what? I, I love being in this kind of environment. And we have a team um, of athletes with all sorts of different backgrounds and strengths. But I love just observing everyone's habit and process and taking away what I can to make myself a little bit better. And um, I love the team aspect. I love um, sharing the process, even though it's only for eight or nine days. Um, I love being in this immersive, this immersed environment um, where we're all, we're all together, making each other better and challenging each other. Um, so it's been it's been really fun all around. I've been in- impressed with you guys. With the you come back and we talked about the sort of support before dual support, actually dual benefit from the sort of partnership with Sarah. But I think. Uh, across the team this year more than any other year I've been impressed with how you guys have collaborated and kept really an ever positive mindset throughout ever increasing fatigue in many ways and uh, and I think that that really sort of pays dividends as you as you have a list of things to go home and and work on Let, let me ask you let's come all the way up the last question here before my little quick hit what we call desert island that we're going to go through the very reactive part to finish we're when you finish your triathlon career, what is success going to look like? What does it mean to you? What does that word success mean? I think that it would be easy for me to give you um, some audacious result or goal that I hope to achieve. But I've spent a lot of years um, pursuing sport in that way. And at this point, I'm just trying to get the most out of myself and see what I'm capable of and see what is possible for my body and my mind. And I also hope that I leave a positive imprint on this sport because I think that the sport is incredible and the community is incredible. And I also think that um, the sport allows us to be brave and take risks and get confidence when um when we're struggling or challenged and um it's such an incredible opportunity to push ourselves and find out what we're capable of and so i hope that my story can maybe be an example of that in some small way so you're gonna get some live coaching that last two minutes that you said never ever forget it Never and it and live by it because uh, the prior mindset of chasing something like a result will never empower your best performance in the way of what you just spoke about there. And so you should carry that for the rest of your athletic career. And if you keep that mindset, your results will probably be the best that they possibly can be. But you're also going to have an influence that you probably can't even imagine right now. And so carry that never forget it thanks matt now desert island desert island here comes the toughest part quick hit this is where we find out more about you this <laughs> is, yeah this is the part this is the dirty part so we finish every discussion with quick questions desert islands and if you're british you'll certainly remember desert island discs a uh, a wonderful radio show where people had to choose their music that they would take to a desert islands we do it a little bit different and you have four quick questions. You've got to be reactive. You're not allowed to say things like the Bible or the fast track triathlete <laughs> or the national anthem or any of that. You've got to, be, uh, got to be reactive. And I want to hear a little bit of the why behind it. Okay. So I want to bring Barry Manilow because <laughs> of his hair or whatever it might be. Okay. All right. So you can bring one piece of music with you. What would it be and why? I would bring home by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros because that's what I walk down the aisle to. Oh, that's a good one. There you go. 
question answer so far of the whole that sap one hundred percent hundred percent sap. How about how about your book? You only have one book to bring. I'm gonna dork out on this one. Go on. I would bring Paradise Lost by John Milton. Oh, there you go. You're an English major. I'm an English major. Epic poetry. Fantastic. Yep. And you can bring one other thing. What would it be? Oh, my dog. I'll tell Steve, your husband, that. <laughs> What's your dog's name? More His name is Tyson. He's a boxer. He's the love of my life. Tyson is a boxer. Good stuff. And as you leave, we push you to the shore, on, to, on the boat. You leave the shores. You can offer the world one piece of advice before you head to exile. What's it going to be? Be kind. Be yourself. Golden. Chelsea, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Take care. Well, that's a wrap. Chelsea Sodaro. And look, I know maybe I got a little bit coachy at the end of the conversation, but hey, listen and learn. The perspective is empowering, I think. I have to say, to sum up this conversation, is it's, it's just wonderful to coach someone who lifts other people, lifts the standard, lifts the level, adds to the fun, lifts the passion. I think we can all learn something here from Chelsea. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!